We've been doing a series on, on uh, discipleship and making disciples. And uh, making disciples is the primary call of the church. Like the Great Commission was actually not to get people saved. No, it wasn't not to get people saved. It was to make disciples. And getting people saved is the first step in making disciples. We have a strategy at Redeemer Coast, which is to grow in faith. Our discipleship making process is to grow in faith. And so we have teaching series where we teach the Word of God so we can grow in faith. And we have encouragement through fellowship. And so we have regular fellowship things uh, throughout the week. Um, uh, Monique was reminding me how the church in Acts, it says they met daily. And so we have regular fellowship things during the week, which we encourage you to go to. And then uh, to get purpose by service. So that, uh, that's our strategy that we have. But making disciples is a deliberate process. And when I graduated from Bible college back in 1999, that was last century, <laughs> by the way, uh, back in 1999, and I came out of Bible college and I realized uh, that my commission, my job was to make disciples. My only trouble is I didn't know what a disciple was. Who thinks they could go through two years of Bible college and come out and not have a clear understanding of what a disciple is? I know none of you would have done that, but I had to sort of sit down and look it up, you know. And, and when I'm doing my theological studies, I cheat. Is it right to cheat when you're doing that? Well, I do. I get a Bible dictionary, okay, and I look up a word and I see what it means. And so a disciple is someone who deliberately learns from someone else and also follows them. And the words which uh, they use in following, there's two particular words, there's one which Paul used often, which means to follow, uh, to follow me or to mimic me. And he would say, the Apostle Paul would say, mimic me to the extent which I mimic Jesus. Act like me, do the things that I do to the extent that I, that I, uh, I do what Jesus did. And then there's a word which Jesus used often, which uh, means to, to literally follow him, and it it's, comes from two Greek words. One means a footpath, and the, and the other one means alpha, which, you know, the title given to Jesus, the alpha and the omega. So it's actually the first person to beat this path through this track, follow me that way. And so discipleship is to learn from Jesus, to go the way he wants you to go, and to act like him along the way. And that's the key meaning of discipleship. And this wonderful reading, thank you, Karen, you read it so well from Luke chapter 5. It's an interesting, interesting examination of, of uh, a test case or a, um, a sample, an exemplar of someone who became a disciple and what happened and how his life changed. And that's, of course, is the apostle Peter who we know was an avid fisherman, and, uh, and, but eventually he, he, he learned to be a disciple and he grew in that and uh, he shook the world. A simple fisherman shook the world. God has great plans for each of us if we learn to be a disciple. Now, uh, being a, a Christian, the, the word Christian was first used to the, of the church in, uh, sorry, the word, uh, yes, the word Christian was first used uh, of Christians in, or believers, in the church in Antioch. 
And if you just want to flip, flip to Acts chapter 11, if you would, uh, we'll just have a, a quick look there at uh, what that meant. It says the church in Antioch was the first place that the disciples were called Christians. So really the scriptural use of the word Christian is if we are a disciple. Now the Bible actually distinguishes between believers and disciples. So we loosely call ourselves Christians if we're born again, if we receive him as Lord Jesus Christ. But can we actually scripturally? Because the term Christian applied to disciples, not to just believers. In fact, in John 8, 31, 32, just keep your finger in Acts 11. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus was preaching in the temple. And it said many of the Jews there believed. There was a big crowd of Jews. They believed. And then he turned, some of them believed. Many of those crowd believed. He turned to the ones who believed. So they were believers, all right? They believed in his message. And he said to them, if you abide in my words, that means if you make your camping ground, your dwelling place in my word, then you will be a disciple. So just because you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ does not make you a disciple. And, and our goal is to be a disciple. All right? So we'll have a quick look uh, at Acts chapter 11. The first word, the first time that the, uh, the uh, word Christian was used, and it was used to describe disciples, and we'll have a look at, um, at, at, at there's actually a, a list of things which disciples did. Doing words are what? Verbs. Is that right? Now, hang on, like, like, uh, like literacy is not my strongest point, but I get it right. Adjectives describing words, verbs are doing words, is, am I right? Yeah, thank you. So, so there's things that, that believers do that make them disciples. Thank you, Margaret. South Africa and correcting my English. Uh, all right. So in, in, in Acts 11:26, uh, and what's happened is that so there was persecution in Jerusalem and they were scattered and then some Gentiles who had got saved in Jerusalem went to Antioch, which is up in Turkey, preached the gospel and there was revival and many it says many believed so many heard the message and believed and understand this the eternal life and forgiveness comes by believing in what Jesus laid down for us so we believe he laid down his life for us for forgiveness of sins that's how we're saved Discipleship, the benefits of discipleship come from deciding to lay down our own life. Forgiveness comes from believing that he laid down his life for us. The benefits of being a disciple come when we decide to lay down our own lives. And it's a conscious decision. So let's look at these verbs, these doing words. So it says that they were scattered throughout, uh, throughout Asia. They came to Antioch. There was many saved there. And um, when some of the disciples heard about it, they sent, they sent 
uh, for help to Jerusalem for people to come and disciple them and they set up Barnabas and Barnabas then went and then they went looking for Paul and Paul came and taught for a year so verse 26 it says and when he found him when he found Paul or Saul of Tarsus he brought him back to Antioch and for a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers of disciples and taught large numbers the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So it's distinguishing here, and we'll go and have a look in a minute, between those who believe and those who are disciples. Believing is entrance into the kingdom of God. Discipleship is walking in the kingdom of God. And let's have a look at some doing words. So um, verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them in a large number who believed turned to the Lord two doing words one they believed and two they turned and that means they turned from worshipping their idols or worldly things and they turned to worshipping God they turned for dependence on what the world had to offer to dependence from God so a disciple turns from the way the world would have us walk to the way God would have us walk and then in verse 23, it says, He arrived, he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged all of them to remain true and to have devoted hearts. So they remained. All right? So that tells me in our Christian walk, once we're born again, there's going to be plenty of opportunity not to remain. And we know that, you know, the parable of the sower. So there's going to be once we believe, and we, we, we know it, I wouldn't call for a hand of, show of hands, but I know and you know people who have had a faith in the Lord Jesus. We were talking to someone the other week, and I asked them, do you have faith? And they said, yes. But the way they were living was as if God didn't exist. But they believed in God. They believed that Jesus died for their sins. So he says he taught them to remain. So a disciple remains, which means when opposition comes, you decide I'm going to stay. I'm going to fix my place in what God has uh, for me. I'm going to abide. I'm pitching my tent here. This is where I remain. So a disciple remains in the face of opposition to the, uh, to the opposite and remains true to the word of God. Verse 23 is true and he remains. And then interestingly, verse 26, it says, when he found them, he brought him to Antioch. A whole year they met. They met. They had fellowship. They met. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love, good works, and not neglecting meeting together, but encourage one another if we are a disciple, we deliberately decide to have fellowship. Which means we are going to have to put up with some people who are awkward. <laughs> and, and whom we don't like and who are imperfect. Not everyone is perfect like me. There's pretty well only Chloe and me that are perfect. Linda's coming back on Friday. Sometimes I worry about those two. Now, there's going to be imperfect people and they're going to think you're imperfect and we're just going to have to learn to walk in love. We're just going to have to learn to do it. And we grow by it. But we deliberately purpose to have fellowship. 
They met, it says, and they met daily in Acts. They met daily. All right? They met daily and they taught large numbers. So they met and they bought their Bibles and they bought their little notebooks with their Bibles. All right? And they wrote in them. Miss Jackie, you're allowed to write in that Bible. All right? Okay? You're allowed to write in. If you've, if you've anyone got a Bible, if you've got a Bible you can't write in, then uh, give it to someone else and we've got some Bibles over there. Go and grab one of those and you can write in that. Get a Bible you can write in because they were taught, they met and they learned. So these were the characteristics of disciples, all right? Peter became a disciple. If we flip back to Luke chapter 5, It's interesting, the process uh, in, 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 in uh, Luke chapter 4 beforehand, we know he believed Jesus was there teaching in the synagogue, many were being, so a synagogue was like a little temple, a synagogue probably had about this many people in it, and they used to sit around, around the edge of it, and then they'd give the they give the mic to someone they didn't have mics but you know they give the mic to someone to talk you know and, and then they'd share and then and they'd ask people to go and read scriptures and so Jesus was talking in this in the synagogue many were getting healed so Peter asked him back to his house his mother was sick and then the Bible says they asked Jesus or entreated Jesus about his mother and he healed them and then Jesus stayed and they brought him after it was dark they brought him all that were, were sick and he healed them all now Peter was a fisherman so we know at some stage during that evening, because the next morning he, he was fishing and Jesus found him by the lake. So some stage he probably stayed for a bit of the service and then left early. I know that's, you know, if you go fishing, that's not an excuse to leave church early. But Peter did it. Remember, he wasn't a disciple at this stage. All right. He left early and he went fishing. It's interesting. Jesus found him by the lake the next morning and he used his he used his, uh, one of his boats. It's interesting how uh, Jesus' approach to Peter, he said, uh, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, who later became Peter, put out in deep water and, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon replied, Master, we've worked all night. Now that word master mean is like an overseer. Right? So if, you, if, you've got a, uh, if you work for a business, you have an owner, and then you have like a shift manager, all right? The word their master is like the shift manager, okay? So it's like, well, I recognize that you've got the right to speak to me in a certain way and ask me to do things, but you're not the real boss, you know? They called him master. It's like, a, like someone who's like in charge of that shift, all right? And Jesus says, trust me. Jesus is about to show him how inadequate, really, our best efforts are at making life by our own strength. And Peter says to him, well, master, you know, seeing as you're master and you're running this show, you're running this church service, and, you know, I'll do it, but I've tried it all night, it's not going to work. And Jesus, and he's, of course, he throws the, the net in and he pulls in a huge haul. And Peter's attitude all of a sudden changes. Part of the process of becoming a disciple is realizing that our own attempts at life are grossly inadequate. 
to get what God has for us. And after that, he calls himself a sinner, but he calls him Lord. Well, the word Lord is different to the word master. The word Lord is like the total owner of the business. The word Lord is, means the creator. It means you have the right to my life. And a disciple is someone who's realized that he has a claim on our lives. And I told you how in uh, 19, uh, 1983, when I was riding a, a motorbike back up from uh, Coffs Harbour up the Dorigo Highway to Armadale, and I, I had a very rude collision with a Kingswood uh, head-on. I was going flat chat on the Dorico Highway and I smacked in the front of this Kingswood. And who knows that, that Kingswood are not made like cars this decade, like they're made of real metal, not tin foil, all right? And they're solid. And I slammed into it and I thought I was dead. I flipped over and, and I, I thought I was dead. It went so slow and I landed and it took me a while to realize that I was alive. They took me to hospital just uh, to observe me. The nurses kept looking in and uh, I, I asked one of them, why do they keep looking in? They said, well, is it true that you actually you had a head-on on the highway with Kingswood? I said, yes. They said, well, we just found that hard to believe. She left the room, and then I heard this voice. This is one of the first. I don't know if it was an audible voice, but I heard it clearly. It said, Grant, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And one of the big things that we have to realize, well, you know, we, we can receive him. We can believe that he died for us. We can call him master, but are we going to call him Lord? I, I remember uh, in 19, 1990, um, 1992, I'd started working. It was like the perfect job. I started working at, a, at an elite uh, Anglican school in, uh, in, in Canberra. And it was, I've, I've shared with you how I got, it was quite miraculous how I got the job because I was not qualified for it but I got the job and I thought I just wor worked into the perfect situation and we were newly married we were just Linda was pregnant for the first time with with uh with Lauren and you know life was just working out really good for us you know and who knows when life starts working out really good for us you, you kind of prepared to just settle down where you are because it's very it's very comfortable we were building we'd already had a house we sold it and we were building our own sort of dream little house and we were all ready and and uh they found out that Linda and I were Christians, and uh, so they, in, I know it's an Anglican school, but not necessarily everyone who works at church schools are Christians, so they invited us to go on an ICF camp, and so it, as the house parent, so we went as a house parent, and I felt this urge one night to, to just to walk out into the bush and pray, and I walked out into the bush and prayed, and I was happy with life, you understand, as it was, everything was working out just fine. I had a beautiful wife, we're having a child, we're building a, our, our dream place uh, in Jerobombra, just outside of, of Canberra. And, uh, and I've just felt this um, overwhelming sense that I needed to surrender my life to him and his plans for me. And uh, I just knelt and I wept because I realized I, I had it all perfect, but it wasn't God's best for what he had for me. And I, I knelt down and I wept out in the, in the bush, cold bush of Canberra and realized that I had to stop just calling him the shift leader who I let 
rule over part of my life when I'm at work and call him the Lord who has dominion over my life. And that's what Peter realized, you know. Because salvation, forgiveness of sins, you get when you believe what he laid down for you. But to be a disciple, we have to lay down things for him. And they're, they're not things which bear fruit. He, he actually only, uh, God never asks you to do anything or to give up anything which you don't win in that exchange. All right? Everything he asks you to lay down are things that don't really bear fruit. They don't satisfy your heart's desire. They don't, they don't fulfill the need that you have for love. They don't fulfill the need for provision or purpose in your life. He only ever asks you to lay down for him what he knows is going to be an abundant return for you. So getting saved, we believe what he laid down for us. But being a disciple is laying down those parts of our life that are not living for him, not totally sold out for him. And Peter realized this. And human nature is a funny thing. You know, the Bible says these signs shall follow those who believe. We've got that confused in the Christian church. We think those who believe follow these signs. But it's actually these signs follow those who believe. And, and when Jesus was performing miracles at this time, he said to them, you're only coming to see me because, because I'm doing miracles. He knew the heart of man. You know, uh, uh, miracles are good. God's provision are good. But we need to serve the maker and the creator and the miracle worker. So we can walk in these things. And people get tired. People get blasé. Who knows Christians get blasé? You see one or two, yeah, you see a few people raised from the dead, you know, three or three or four. By the time comes the third or fourth one, it's pretty ordinary. Or, you know, I, that's, that sounds funny, but it's actually true. They got bored with Jesus' miracles. So then he fed them. And he says to them later, he says, you know, you're not following me even for the miracles now. You're only really following me because you know I'm going to give you a good feed. And that's just human nature. But when, you know, it's interesting, you know, that time where there was the five loaves and two fishes, or was it two fishes and, I don't know, something like that. And, uh, but he says to Philip, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about these people here that are hungry? Remember that? So all these people were believers, and yet Philip was called to be a disciple. They were all called to be disciples. But Jesus had an expectation of a higher level for his disciples. I, I need you to do what I'm doing. Jesus needs you to do in your workplace, in your home, every day what he would do. There's no hands there now of Jesus. Your hands are Jesus' hands. Your call is Jesus' call. If you don't walk in, he needs you to walk in and tell him. He needs you to pray for them and believe them. You know, we walk into a place, Jesus walks into a place, we need to believe that. And Satan will tell us 
everything else, but we have a God-given purpose to be Jesus to our world. And so Jesus said to Philip, they're hungry. What are we going to do? What are you going to do about it? And we, we, we pray, like we say, God save them, God save them. God save them. He saved them already. Like, you know, he paid the price for their sin. We tell them. We tell them. Cornelius, God, the angels aren't going to preach the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel. Who knows Cornelius, the Roman centurion? He was, he was fervent for the Lord, and an angel came to him, and the angel didn't preach in the gospel. The angel said, go find Peter, this same Peter. The same Peter who changed all of a sudden from master or shift leader, yes, shift leader, to my Lord, my God, and surrendered him. And here he was a couple years later preaching to the Romans. This fish-smelling fishmonger took the gospel to the Romans. Where's God going to take you this week? Somewhere great? It was just one person. But it was the first gospel to be preached to the Romans. And he was a centurion. And it went through it. Went through the Roman army like Epsom salts. <laughs> because you get saved by believing what Jesus did for us. What he laid down for us. You become a disciple by laying down our lives. Now... There's a cost, but like all good salesmen, and Jesus was a pretty good salesman, he put the benefits out. I, I used to work uh, at a furniture store and a carpet store years ago, and uh, you, know, you know what it's like being a salesperson. They say, try and avoid the price. You know, you ever had those salesmen, you, come and say, you, know, you go to them and you say, how much does it cost? And they avoid the price, you know, and you think they're being, it's actually, the, because price means nothing until you realize the benefit. All right? I mean, if you had a Porsche, a brand new Porsche, and uh, it was for sale for $20,000 and it's brand new, who knows that $20,000 is not a lot of money? You would find it, wouldn't you, to get it? So Jesus himself, and, and we were taught, you know, we, we, we had to get, someone came in and before we talked the price of a lounge, we were taught to flip it over like this and rip open the bottom and show them the springs, the type of springs they got in there and, you know, the strapping and get them to feel the velour like this and before we even talked price. It's interesting the things that Jesus said are the benefits of being disciples that we assume are for us just because we're Christians and they're not. They're benefits we get from laying down our lives. Uh, and, and he's only asking us to lay down those things which are, do not bear fruit. They're not fruitful. And so he said, he said to them, who builds a house unless you first, you first uh, count the cost? Now God's calling us all to be disciples. And he says there's benefits Who'd like to know some of the benefits of being a disciple? Would you like to know some of the benefits? I mean, well, if we're going to do this, Lord, <laughs> of course, he just, uh, you know, we, we call him Lord whether there's benefits or not, but there's benefits. He doesn't ask us to do anything without saying there's, 
this is going to be good for you. And you know, that takes, that takes trust. It takes trust to, to give up things that we have cling, clung on to all our life as being our source of joy, our source of provision, our source of friendship, our source of recognition, and realize that, that the, the higher call might be other things being your source. Well, in, in uh, John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, where that's where he talks to the Jews who believed on him. And he says, if you abide in my word, you'll be my disciples. And then he tells them the benefit. He says, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Freedom is a good thing. Because Satan would have us bound to fears, to accusation, to lies about who we are, about how beautiful we are. And, and Jesus said, if you abide in me, that means if you set up your tent in the words, if you abide in my words, that word means you've decided I'm going to live here. Uh, who's been camping? I used to go camping. I used to go camping down, uh, my dad would take us camping down in the uh, National Park just south of Sydney. And you had to work out where the best place to pitch your tent was. Now, I think I can remember foolishly one time pitching a tent just on, on the, on the you've got the, the, the beach and you've got the grassy berm on top of the beach. I pitched the tent there until it got blown down in the middle of the night. And soon I learned that that wasn't the place to pitch my tent. We went over those hills behind the heath next to the little, and next to the little creek and that's where we pitched the tent. And Jesus said, if you want to be set free, you need to pitch your mind in my word. You need to set it and abide in my word. And he said to them, then you'll be my disciples and then you'll be free. Have you ever wondered? I've wondered when I've lacked freedom and things that abound me. I know because I haven't pitched my tent in God's word. I haven't abided in his word. And Christians who are walking around who are oppressed, depressed, obsessed, whatever, obsessed, uh, are largely, Jesus said, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. Because Jesus said, you're not abiding in my word. That's not where you're living. So one of the benefits of being a disciple is to be free. To be free of ac accusation. To be free of the fear of man. To be fear of condemnation. To be free of guilt. That's a lovely thing. Freedom means that Things that will try and control you can no longer control you. Freedom means uh, things that will try and dictate who you are, control your thoughts, oppress you, put you into slavery, can no longer put you into slavery. Jesus said that's for the disciples. That's the benefit for the disciples is freedom. The second great benefit that Jesus talks about is to be able to stand in the time of trial. Now, you know, you know, uh, the wise man built his house upon the rock. You know that song? You don't? You're about to learn it? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Sing it, wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the house... 
And the rains came tumbling down. So what happened? The rains came down and the storms came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains. So all these people that are bound by fear are not singing at the moment. <laughs> or they just haven't got the voice. The floods came up. Who knows that the rains and the storm came against the Christian, sorry, as in the, the born-again Christian, and the disciple. Both of them, the storms of life, came against you. They're not from God. They're the storms of life. But the one who heard and believed that and acted upon it the disciple stood. So Jesus has promised, he said the storms are going to come, but as one of the things that happen when we're disciples, that we are able to stand in the time of trial. And we're able to stand in the time of, of accusation, in the time of testing. He said those who are here believe and act that's a disciple that promise is not for people who are born again that promise is for disciples and that promise abides when we're ready to lay down our lives forgiveness comes when we believe and receive what Jesus laid down for us. Discipleship is laying down those things that we need to lay down for him. And Jesus promised the benefit, being free, being able to stand in the storms of life. We all know those, those storms are going to come. There's storms waiting around the corner for some of us this week, next month, next year. Disciples, as we allow him to disciple us, we'll be able to stand in the time of trial. The third great category, I love it, and it's just hard to find an expression for this, but the only thing I could think of this week was there's a promise of living in the wide open spaces of God's grace and God's provision. And by that I mean, I can see in my own mind, you know, uh, people, you know, the, I, I, used to, I loved old westerns, you know, and people leave the crowded city and they head out west and, and they're just mesmerized by these wide open spaces of God's bounty and provision in the mountains and the rivers that, that flow down and the, the, the grains, the waving grains that are there. And God has wide open spaces for his provision for us that are available for all of us if we stop clinging to the pathetic little efforts to sustain ourselves by our work, our effort, and our sources. All right, now he says this. He says it to Peter, and Peter's bragging to him one day. He says, Lord, I've given up everything for you. And he says, Jesus says, you know, no one will give up anything except unless they receive a hundredfold return of houses and family and provision right and 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 persecution because the devil's not going to like it people aren't going to like it when you've got a joy and they think you need to be unhappy yeah they think you need to be doing this people aren't going to like it but there's wide open spaces of god's provision that is there for us 
Jesus said, there's bounty that's there for us. And this little fisherman, this stinky little fishmonger who couldn't even successfully fish one night, ended up taking the gospel to the ends of the world. And he was martyred. But Jesus said to him in Matthew, he said, and you will reign over the tribes of Israel when my kingdom comes. And these wide open spaces of provision are available for the disciple. He, he wants to take us beyond our limits, beyond our ability. The wide open spaces of God's grace and God's mercy are, are abound. They're, they're part of his provision. And Jesus said they're therefore disciples. Or we can believe on Jesus forgiveness of sins and then we can wrap ourselves up in our own efforts and our own fears and, and this person said that to me and I can't give because I've only got this much money and we can pull this shell of hardness and unbelief around us and we can live within our own source and our own means or our own ability or we can yield and we say I'm going to trust you Lord I'm going to give and I don't know where my next source is coming I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to do what you've asked me to do, trusting that those wide open spaces of provision, they come for you, they're for him. And he lived that. Remember, the, Jesus lived that. I mean, we think he was poor. He wasn't poor. He wasn't poor. He had this ministry that came around after him. He had his own treasurer who was ripping him off. And he had, you know, uh, but he, tr he trusted God and he was provided everything he, need f he needed for him. And that's what I've found over the years. Even when we've sold everything, we've sold everything a number of times to go where God's called us to do. Sold houses, spent all the money in serving him, and yet God just keeps providing over and above. And they're the benefits. He said the benefits of being a disciple, the benefits of yielding to the Lord. Remember Peter, when he thought he knew best, he just called him master. Okay. But when he realized how inadequate he was to live the life that God had, he called him Lord. And Romans says, we believe in our heart resulting in righteousness. We call him Lord resulting in salvation. Praise God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that we're called to the wide open spaces of your, of your grace and your provision, your abundance and your purpose. Father, help us. Help us to trust you. Help us to let go of our own inadequacies, our own fears, and to realize that you are our source. We can trust you with our life. We can trust you with our destiny. We can trust you to provide for us, to give us purpose and meaning and joy. And we can know the truth. The truth will set us free. That we'll stand in the time of trial and that we'll live in the abundance of your wide open spaces. We thank you, Lord, for the, the privilege to call you Lord and to yield to you this week. In Jesus' name, all the people said.